We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone, tonight we've got Richard, Dave and Alan chatting to Terry Cushman of the Bastards of Boston Baseball podcast about how he feels the Boston Red Sox will do in 2021. We hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Terry has a background, uh, a New York Yankees, I don't know what you'd call that, a, a poster or something, would you call no, that? No, it's a, it's a flag. It's a flag. It's, a, it's <laughs> those damn Yankees, New York Yankees flag with a nice big red kind of no not welcome here kind of sign on it as well that's a nice piece of work terry thank you should, should we ask you how you got the flag terry i used to have a weekly texas hold'em game uh po- it's a poker game if yep. you're not familiar with it it was in a like it was in my unfinished basement and i just needed some decor and uh <laughs> that was one of the things i did no that's fantastic a very stylish piece there terry we like that what's the weather like in your part of the world i live in maine which is most northeastern uh state so we're freezing right now are you near banger at all i am probably hour and a half south i don't know how many kilometers that would be mileage wise it's about a little over 100 miles unfortunately banger is about the only place i know in maine terry so i can't pretend to know <laughs> where, where you are. yeah i'm pretty close if, if you're talking about a globe and we're on different parts of it right now bangor is pretty close <laughs> and more importantly how far are you from fenway Fenway, probably about two and a half, three hours north, depending on traffic. That's, That's a fair cool. journey to, to get to the games. Yeah, and it's it's expensive. It's one of the most expensive games to go to because you got to pay probably 40 or $50 for parking. And it's an expensive ticket anyway. And if you want a beer... You know, that's ten dollars <laughs> per beer. So uh, it's it's an expensive uh, trip, but I, I go down there probably three or four times a year. Why is the parking so expensive? Is that, that just normal city prices? They don't have a, a lot where it's like ten dollars or anything like that? Correct. Yeah, there's no, as far as I know, official parking uh, that you know, on property that the Red Sox own. So businesses will allow their parking lots to be used and they'll hire a parking attendant to charge anywhere from 40 to $60, really. The last time I went, I went with a guy who knew a guy and, you know, so I didn't have to pay anything. It's That's nice when it works out that way. I think the only games I've been to in the state, the only, the only stadium I've been to in the States where we've had a car was at Detroit and that was like $5 or $10 just to park in the the pub so 500 Uh, yards from comerica and depending on what year it is they you know they'd probably almost give it away for free because they haven't been good for quite some time (laughs) yeah Yeah, you're you're coming just just come and uh, we'll we'll take whatever money we can get (laughs) yeah exactly on on the subject of not so good teams i should say i don't know if you know terry but i'm a seattle mariners fan alan follows the detroit tigers but the gentleman who's just joined us, Dave, is one of your one of your own, a fellow Red Sox fan. Okay, how's it going, sorry? Uh, it's going, uh, having uh, having a blast. <laughs> Do you like the decor, Dave? Do you notice the the flag behind Terry? That was a nice touch. Oh yeah, I like it. I was going to say, sometimes it's quite traditional for us to have a beer, and just to show <laughs> that there's no bias, I'm going to drink the Yankee, which is a local brew from the uh, Roosters Harrogate Brews. I've no offense. Uh, to drink in the beer, Yankee, but... Nice. What's the beer they sell at Fenway then, Terry? Budweiser's the main one. They have the Budweiser deck, which you might be able to see in the upper part of right field. They have a balcony with a bar up there. So it's one of the big sponsors. Admittedly, I'm not a huge beer drinker, so I, I'm just content to have a Coca-Cola while I'm at the park. They they probably have Miller Lite and maybe some, some local IPAs as well. Just to say as well, Dave, Terry was seeing us, telling us that he's actually, he lives in Maine. So about a two and a half to three hour yeah. trip 
from Fenway there. So we were thinking that seems like a long journey. That probably only seems a long journey UK style. I know that America, like journeys of that length are a bit more normal. I could imagine. I've never, I've been to Ireland uh, once. I've never been beyond that as far as uh, the UK or Europe or anything. I, I could see the, how three hours would be, you know, a big difference. And out here, things are so spaced out. Yeah. Like you don't really start to hit traffic till you get close to Boston. Yeah, I think that's one thing I noticed in the first trip to Boston. It wasn't just really Boston's team. It seems to be I met quite a few people who were going from various parts of New England and possibly would go to one home game a year. Quite interesting from that point of view that is that a thing then a New England team? Yeah, Boston's our most local team. So we just kind of fall into that. I get into arguments with other fans over here. They're like, well, you're from Maine. The Red Sox are no more your home team than the Texas Rangers are. And I'm like, well, not exactly. I mean, they are the closest city. And then the curveball I like to throw back at them is I'm like, well, what about the New England Patriots? (laughs) You know, they've got New England in their name. (laughs) We can always find stupid things to argue about. I use that argument myself when people say, how come you're a race sports fan? Well, I say, well, that's the nearest MLB (laughs) team to me. I'm gonna find Yeah, that's a brilliant line because you're <laughs> you're one thousand percent correct. It is the closest team. <laughs> and I've learned in recent years that some of the Canadian provinces right above Maine, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia, there's a big Red Sox uh contingency of fans there as well. Yeah. I suppose uh, it is quite close to Canada, isn't it? You know, I knowing the sort of history of sports in the area a little bit. My my wife is a, a big uh, ice hockey fan. She likes the sort of violence of that game. You know, she stays in touch with the Bruins and just thinking about. I think they were possibly first American team to join the sort of NHL team when it was mainly uh, Canadian teams. You know, I'm not a huge hockey guy, so I'm not exactly sure of the exact history. I know there was an original. Six, an original group of six teams, and I know the Bruins were definitely one of those. Yeah, so it sort of fits in with that sort of connection. And I suppose there was a time when there wouldn't have been any MLB Canadian team for the fans there to follow. So Boston would probably be their natural one to pick. Yeah, I could imagine so. And I know with the old Montreal Expos, who haven't been a team since 2004 i know there was a huge you know faction of red sox fans in in that neighborhood with montreal being i I don't know i think it's four or five hours from boston so pretty close anyway yeah i really feel for sort of fans of teams it's not something that we really it happens to us here where you know you can't imagine your team moving thousands of miles away and all of a sudden got nobody to support so i always feel for the for the montreal fans because i think they really went through it didn't they i think my memory of that was that weren't they doing really well in the 94 strike or something and then when that happened they never really recovered and eventually went out of business yeah everybody got traded you know we kind of inherited pedro martinez in that big 97 trade yeah and they just kind of blew it up their ownership was never great they weren't really quite committed to winning it's really unfortunate because that 94 strike also hurt the indians you know that's one of their recent best chances i rooted for them so hard to beat the cubs in 2016 just because of the, the francona connection i just couldn't shake that not not that i was mad that chicago finally got a, a championship yeah i was actually wearing this same sweatshirt right after they won the red sox won the 2000 13 World Series and I was in a bar in Chicago's O'Hara Airport and it was a Cubs bar and they did not like me. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, I have felt your pain. Uh, you know, I got no ill will. And if the Cubs were playing anyone other than the Indians or the Red Sox, I probably would have been rooting for them. <laughs> it's funny, you know, the camaraderie. I've been to Wrigley and I was in the bleachers and their fans are pretty hardcore. They've got this sort of <laughs> Cubs have got this nice, I don't know, until they won. 
you know, they were everyone's sort of second favorite team. Uh, Wrigley's, I've only been to, believe it or not, three ballparks, and Wrigley is one of them. I, did, I wore my Andrew Benintendi jersey there, and no one seemed to give me a hard time. That was in 2018, so they had finally won by that point. And the hilarious thing was the Cubs only scored one run that game. It was against, I think, the Pirates. The one run they scored was a home run by Cole Hamels, <laughs> the pitcher. Just kind of a funny game. And yeah, but that was a fun stadium to go to. And not just inside the ballpark, but the neighborhoods uh, surrounding yeah, it, mostly houses around it for the most part. You know, yeah, whereas when we were there, it was sort of about 1999. And those houses with, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure they're all sort of being bought up since then. And it's more of a corporate thing. But then back then, I think they were still sort of private houses or apartments. And people would have their own sort of seating on rooftops and on the roofs. Hand. Yeah, the Cubs did buy a bunch of those buildings and they actually installed bleachers on top of those rooftops yeah so you can buy tickets to go up there now so the cubs own those buildings i could see how they'd be a little upset you know people going up there for free instead of buying a ticket (laughs) yeah i think that's what was happening guys i meant to ask you talked about how franchises can move and obviously some famous ones like the Dodgers ended up the opposite coast. Has there ever been any talk over the year of years of the Red Sox or were they just too famous a franchise and too historic within the city to ever be at risk of being shifted? As far as I know, there's been no serious talks about relocating the Red Sox. I know back in the 90s, there was a big movement to build a new stadium. No, I was just a kid at that point. So I I don't know how advanced those discussions ever got. I do know if they tried to build a new stadium today, the Red Sox fans would light the whole city of Boston on fire and protest. (laughs) So, you know, because it's a museum. I mean, admittedly, don't follow much outside of, you know, American sports, but there's just not many places in America left that have the history that Fenway does. You know, Wrigley, obviously one of them, and there's got to be a couple other parks. Team owners are always wanting to upgrade and go with the latest and the greatest uh, trends. So you just don't have the history anymore yeah. which is really unfortunate they've managed to squeeze in a few extra seats since i was last there they've got seats on top of the, the green monster now haven't they and uh, i think they've added a few more elsewhere yeah absolutely i like to sit up in the in the coke seats which i don't think were there they definitely weren't there in the 80s maybe they finally got put in in the 90s and you're up on that top deck and you're kind of looking down at the third baseline. It's just such a cool view. Some people might not be crazy about it, but I I always love sitting up there and we've always had really good people around us, you know, to kind of banter with and you have your own concession stand right behind it as well. And there's never any (laughs) lines there. So I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. The only thing is if the left fielder, it's not Ben Attendi anymore. You know, if the left fielder was trying to catch a, a ball on the on the baseline deep in the outfield, you're not going to see it. You know, that's the only thing you can't see if he's I right up against can, the wall. Put up with that. I don't know whether I'm going to jump ahead. And uh, I, I would like to ask a question. I've listened to your podcast recently <laughs> and, and, and last season as well when it had shall we say a different name I was looking at I was looking at the Boston Red Sox roster today online just to see if there were any players with a surname bastard <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because no. you know they might be they might be getting traded soon yeah um I think we decided to go with the name change before the trade I think I've already kind of forgotten the timeline I wanted to keep the name the Benny and the Bets podcast because even though it's awkward right now you got bets winning championships with other teams and before the Benintendi trade we we still don't know if he's going to be a major leaguer a year from now like he's just had such regression so with that kind of looming over us I just thought you know 10 years from now it would still be cool to have that name the Benny and the bets you know we won a world series in that era 
But I just got to be so embattled by other people on social media. Like, you got to change the name. You got to change the name. <laughs> if you follow me on my my regular account, my Cushman MLB account, I'm really tough on the Red Sox. There are fans that think the Red Sox can do no wrong and they'll celebrate every little move that they make. I tend to be a little bit more brutal. I'm more of a realist. Yeah, so I've I, that. Yeah, I think it's quite good, actually. Good idea. Yeah, we have a huge, you know, faction of Yankees fans that follow our show because they know they're going to get the brutal truth. They're not going to get, if you go listen to section 10 with Carabas, you know, it's all Homerism and, you know, he wants to bring back Rick Porcello. He wants to bring back Brock Holt, you know, all these players that really aren't, you know, they're well past their primes. And so you're not going to, nobody's going to get that with us. I will probably get into it, but I'm not optimistic about this season, you know, for the Red Sox. I hope I'm wrong because, you know, my podcast will will do better if I am wrong. So I'm rooting for the team, but it's just, it's kind of brutal right now. But anyway, so that's kind of how, you know, the bastards of Boston baseball fit. And if you listen to some of my co-hosts, Charlie Smith, He's like way extreme negative than, than even I am right now. Yeah, I recognize his name. Yeah, he, he's uh, usually got something to say. We'll come on to how the Red Sox will do in a, in a wee minute. Terry, I was just wondering, do you want to tell us a wee bit about your first baseball game you went to at Fenway? Yeah, my first one, I think it was in the in the 2009 season, which was a good regular season for us. Josh Beckett was the starting pitcher. And I think that one was against the Tigers, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, the, the Red Sox won. And admittedly, I mean, that was kind of, I was 26 years old that year. So <laughs> people are surprised. Like, you, you were only 26 when you went to your first game? And I'm like, just, you know, never, never made it down. And yeah. I, I come from a NASCAR family, you know, auto okay. racing is the big sport. So I'm really the only baseball fan, you know, in my immediate family. So, so I, my first game was a little bit later in life. So yeah, last season, obviously a disappointment didn't make the, the expanded playoffs. What's your serious expectations in, in 2021? More, more of the same or a, a step forward? I think the, the team will definitely be more competitive. I think they won 23 games last year so I, I don't know how that would have scaled out on 162 games 400 season. wasn't it 400 so what's that roughly is that what 60 wins yeah. 64 65 I kind of if you want me to put a, a total on it right now I, I think they're about a 78 win team I'm a huge skeptic on the starting rotation Eduardo Rodriguez hasn't pitched since essentially 2019 due to the COVID situation he had uh, which led to a heart ailment which he mm-hmm. seems to be completely recovered from so there's a little bit of rust there and even when he was healthy always had issues with consistency and whatnot you you know, just kind of hoping for the best. Nathan Avaldi is going to go on the disabled list at some point. <laughs> it just, the guy can't stay on the field and he gets knocked around at times, uh, you know, when he is healthy and you've got some unknowns like Garrett Richards, he's only pitched a combined 76 innings since 2016. So yeah. big question mark there, Nick Pavetta, you got to align a lot of stars to get that rotation to, you know, fire on all cylinders and pitch effectively outside of Devers, Bogarts, Verdugo, there's not really a ton of offense behind them. You know, you got a lot of guys who would typically be a seven hole, seven or eight hole hitter on most teams. I'm a little skeptical about how robust the offense will be. What about that guy? We saw him, I think he was a rookie when we went to MLB London 2019. And there was a guy on the Red Sox team, was it Chavis? Michael Chavis. I was sat next to a guy, I was away from these two guys because our tickets didn't quite match up for the first game, for the second game, I think. And I was sat next to this elderly chap um, and his grandson. They'd come over from New England to watch the game. And he was talking about Chavis, you know, that's his rookie year. And I think he, I think he hit a home run in, the, in one of the games and had a good game. But I haven't seen him touted as being in the first night, you know, the lineup. Is that is something happened with him or? Well, first of all, I think everybody hit a home run in that series. <laughs> they were, they we, were we flying out of there. The, the issue with Chavis is he strikes out a ton and specifically on high fastballs with two strikes. He's just an automatic strikeout. 
So he's just never been super consistent at the plate. If you go back to that London series in, in 2019, he had just been called up weeks prior and he did get off to a good start. So at that time, there probably was some optimism, but he's had a lot of regression uh, since then. And there's talk right now amongst the Red Sox fan base and speculation from the media that he's in real danger of not making the team and having to go to Pawtucket. Well, actually, I should say Worcester is yeah. now where the AAA team plays. So I'm not optimistic. And you know, we're going to have a guy uh, named Jaron Duran be up possibly late this season, if not uh, next season. You know, so that's another roster spot. Kike Hernandez was signed to a two-year deal. He could see a lot of outfield time. Verdugo isn't going anywhere for at least three or four years. So if Chavis, you know, wants a future with the Red Sox, he's going to have to get off to a good start. And just one other thing. So I don't want to hog the show, but I've been a fellow Red Sox man on it. I do remember there wasn't too many reasons to be cheerful last year, but wasn't there a rookie pitcher who burst onto the scene and had two great wins, including one against the Yankees? I'm just trying to remember. His, oh, I've got it written there. Tanner Hope. Tanner Hope. Yes, absolutely. He's not in the pitching lineup either. Yeah, he's not. He's not expected to start the season with the Red Sox, but I would be surprised if he's not called up by early summer at the latest. The issue with him right now is he's mostly just a kind of a fastball slider guy. So they're going to have to develop a third pitch. You know, you need at least three pitches to, you know, be a starter. Other guys like Matt. Barnes, for instance, who's a fastball curveball guy, you know, those guys are going to be in the bullpen. It kind of hinges on his ability to develop that third pitch. If he doesn't, he might project more as a high-end relief guy in the eighth or ninth inning. But I do think the plan is for him to start. He's got a nasty Chris Sale-like slider, and he is a lefty as well. Yeah, I don't know if you guys see those Pitching Ninja videos on Twitter, but they can can have one pitcher with the silhouette of another pitcher pitching exactly at the same time. And their deliveries are very similar. (laughs) So the good thing is we might have another Chris sale. The bad news is when's his Tommy John surgery going to be with a delivery like that? (laughs) Cause you know, it's, it's tough on elbows, but, and I will say this though, he doesn't quite have the velocity on his fastball. Like Chris sale does. I think how presently tops out at about 93, 94 at the highest. So, but still the Red Sox probably have a a solid number three at a minimum on their hands with Hauk. And this is an organization that doesn't develop their own pitching. The last good pitcher that they drafted and developed was John Lester. He was drafted in 2002, almost 20 years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Terry, looking back there, I know it was a difficult season last year and this might be a tough one coming up, but looking back to a happier time, where were you when the Boston Red Sox broke the curse in 2004? Where did you watch those games? Funny story. When the game that they won, when they won it all, I was I was at home watching with my parents. But I was a corrections officer at the time. I worked in a jail. I was early twenties, and actually, I had just started. Like I was brand spanking new. Right when the Red Sox made the playoffs, I, I was off training and and there. So I was watching a lot of the games with a bunch of inmates (laughs) actually. (laughs) And uh, yeah, the Yankee series was much more intense, you know, because we nearly got eliminated quickly from it. But, uh, and I think the games were a bit more competitive, but that's where I was. And even though my father, not a big baseball fan, my grandparents were, and unfortunately none of them lived long enough to see it. They, they all missed it by a few years. So I, I could just imagine the frustration of the ball rolling through Bill Buckner's legs in, in 1986. So I, uh, I did feel very fortunate enough that I got to see at least one and little did I know we were going to have a, a good several years. When they won it in 2007, uh, which was their second one, I logged on to ESPN.com at the end of the night and they had the perfect headline. It said twice in a lifetime. 
And again, I couldn't help but think of my grandparents. <laughs> yeah. Well, Terry, I have to say, one of our your fellow Red Sox fan, Dave, here, in a way, he's had to suffer twice in a lifetime because not only does he follow the Red Sox, and obviously you guys had an 86-year curse, but in the world of football, soccer, in American terms, the, the team that Dave follows went 114 years without winning <laughs> the Scottish Cup, which is one of the the kind of premier trophies in Scottish football. So that is bang on 200 years worth of curse that that Dave's had to endure two centuries worth as well. So it's amazing he's such a cheery guy, really, all all things considered. What did you think you'd you'd live to see, Dave, and Hibbs win the Scottish Cup or the Red Sox win the World Series? What was the bigger surprise? Well, it's funny because I don't know if you know, uh, Terry, I think he's still there. He was writing the sports writer, baseball writer for the Globe. Is it Dan Shaughnessy or O'Shaughnessy? Yes. And he's a real Red Sox expert. Um, I came across a poem about Hibernian, about a young lad who was asking his father, I'm going off the top of my head now, he's asking his father what it was like when Hibbs won the Scottish Cup. And he said, well, I don't know, you'll have to go and ask your grandfather that. And the next verse is he goes to ask his grandfather. The punchline is that, well, I had to ask my grandfather what it was like. So, so I sent this to Mr. Shaughnessy, you know, as say, well, you know, not to say that the Red Sox curse is nothing, but this is what other sports fans have gone through as well. I think it's probably worse for the Red Sox, really, because there were other trophies in Scottish football and Hibs had won some of those sort of minor trophies. So there was a little bit of relief, but uh, yeah. Yeah, feels feels good when the curse is finally broken, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, at least I don't think, I don't remember, but the in the cup final at the National Stadium in Scotland, at the final whistle when they finally won it, a lot of Hibs fans invaded the pitch and dug, dug up <laughs> the pitch and took souvenirs. So I don't think the, the Red Sox fans did that at the uh, Wilson. No. And in fact, they won their first two on the road anyway. So, yeah. so they were in the visiting stadium. So, Dave, uh, you don't you don't have big sections of turf that you liberated from the national stadium that day, though. No, I was I was right near the front of the stadium as well, and there's a lot of people from where I was sat who went down onto the pitch, and I thought. I'm just not going to do it because, you know, I, I, not because I didn't agree with it. It was high spirits and after 114 years, what are you going to do? <laughs> but I, no, I didn't. I kept in my seat. Well, I was stood up applauding. Terry, I meant to ask you, you mentioned NASCAR earlier on, being a kind of passion in the family and stuff. Maybe that's just me being naive. I always assume or kind of associate NASCAR more with the South in America, but are there a lot of NASCAR fans in the North as well? Well, it originated from the South and the true heart and soul of it is in the South. My family raced locally up here on on the short tracks and the much, you can't even call them the minor leagues, it's that low, but there's tracks all over the country. So I had family involved up here and my father just kind of took a liking to it, you know, when he was uh, younger. He's 65 now, so he basically grew up in the 60s and early 70s. So, you know, he kind of grew up in that era. And that was actually when NASCAR was starting to take off, you know, as a kind of a mainstream sport. You had Richard Petty, Cale Yarbrough and all those guys. So my dad's kind of been a fan since essentially the beginning. And and, and that's what I grew up on. And I kind of gravitated to boxing. I I, I imagine that's somewhat big over yeah. uh, in Europe. and. Funny story, Lennox Lewis was my favorite uh, heavyweight fighter. <laughs> I just, I hated Mike Tyson and I just, I didn't like how the American fighters were ducking Lewis. So I kind of sympathized and his first round knockout of Andrew Galata in 1997 yeah. was what really won it for me. And then all my favorite boxers kind of, you know, got older and retired and, and, you know, I just kind of fell into baseball and it was kind of timed with, you know, 03, 04 when we had those deep playoff runs. Fantastic. I got to see Lennox Lewis fight Evander Holyfield at Madison Square Garden. Oh, that, oh so painful. He got <laughs> he got so robbed in that. The British judge, Larry O'Connell, even had it a draw. Yeah, like, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> I know, I know. 
I was there and actually I was working in, uh, in the media at the time, Terry, and they came in afterwards, both of them, for the post-fight interviews for the guys. And Lennox Lewis was like that, I want to do this quickly, I want to go out, I'm going to hit the nightclubs, I'm going to go out and have a, have a party tonight, go out and have a good time. You wouldn't have known he was in a fight. Evander Holyfield, one of my great heroes, one of my great boxing heroes, Evander Holyfield, he came in and he looked like he'd been hit by a truck. You know, he had big glasses on, his whole face was swollen out to whatever. You couldn't look at those two guys and think that fight had been a draw afterwards yeah. when you saw them. It was a classic hometown decision, to be honest with you. Lewis uh, was treated very unfairly. That next November, though, they fought in Vegas and the judges got it right. Absolutely. Do you have an all-time favourite boxer, Terry, then? Do you have a favourite boxer? You mentioned Lewis. Lewis would definitely be my favourite heavyweight boxer, but I think my favourite boxer of all time is actually Felix Trinidad. Mm -hmm. uh, and he comes from Puerto Rico. So it's funny, Like most of my favourite boxers aren't even American, but Trinidad got kind of a controversial win over Oscar De La Hoya. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, he continued on, got some bigger wins. And I just loved how he just had knockout power in both hands, you know, and not just, you know, his orthodox hand. And I actually got to go to uh, Madison Square Garden to watch him win the middleweight title against a guy named William Joppy. And that was cool because I'd never been in the big city before. The town I actually grew up in in Maine is called Gray, Maine, and it's a farming town. There's not even a building with an elevator in that town. And here I am surrounded by skyscrapers in New York City. So that was just so cool. And it was right before 9-11, actually. It was in May of that year. You know, it was just kind of a, a neat experience. And and Trinidad knocked out Joppy in the fifth round. So it was just kind of a, like I said, a really cool experience. There, there was another local fighter. His name's Mickey Ward. I don't know if you'd heard of him. He beat a guy named Shane Neary over there. It might have been on a Lewis undercard. I, I forget. But I was actually at a fight that he was having. And that was in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. And Ring Magazine uh, named it Fight of the Year uh, at the end of the year. So that was kind of a cool fight to be a part of. We knew it was going to be a good fight. We didn't know it was going to be a great fight. Another guy I liked, I actually, I think he's from Wales, was Joe Calzaghi. Very, very entertaining fighter. And Bernard Hopkins was the guy who under who uh, ended Felix Trinidad's the win streak. Yeah. 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 And I hated Hopkins. I just <laughs> always thought he was a punk. So when Calzaghi beat him, I just, I was elated. <laughs> oh, no, great fighter, Calzaghi. Trained by his dad, Enzo. A uh, really, really good fighter. Are you interested in mixed martial arts at all? I haven't really followed it. You know, I, I've been at a bar or a sports pub at times, and I do enjoy watching it, but I'm just kind of so consumed by, you know, the other sports that I, I just haven't really dove headfirst into it. I know Conor McGregor just got his butt kicked uh, a couple of weeks ago. He <laughs> Knocked did. out in the first round. <laughs> yeah. No, I know, I know. I'd be interested to see how he comes back and if he comes back. But one of our previous guests on the Highland Bullpen, Terry, was a guy called Campbell McLaren. And he's actually Scottish-born, but lived in New York and California a lot of his life. And he co-created UFC TV oh. right at the start of it when it was like really controversial and it was a really kind of wild time. So he was, he was a good guest, Campbell, as well. And he keeps in touch with the show as oh. well. So he's another of the good guys we've, we've talked to here. So looking like kind of at your your own Red Sox fandom then, Terry, who stands out? Who's been your favourite player? You've seen a lot of, you've been <laughs> fortunate enough to have some good eras or certainly... A fair few to pick from. My favorite of all time, and a, a lot of people love this guy, but I don't think many would say that he's their favorite of all time. But for me, it's it's Jonathan Papelbon. Uh, you know, he was the closer in in 07, got the final out there, and had a nice you know run as as the Red Sox closer. And I just loved his intensity when when he came into the game and. I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but when they beat the Cleveland Indians in the 2007 uh, ALCS right before the World Series, Papelbon got a save and then they were all just kind of hanging out on the field and shipping up to Boston by the dropkick Murphys was playing. And before you knew it, Papelbon had ripped off his shirt, 
then his pants came off, then his shoes came off, and he's standing around doing an Irish jig in his underwear on the field <laughs> with a cigar hanging out of his mouth. And I just thought he was a good character, and I, I liked him. And I don't know how you guys feel about Bryce Harper, but you know, when Papelbon went to the Nationals and they got into that fight in the dugout, I thought that was great as well. <laughs> Not a big Harper guy. But everybody universally loves David Ortiz. I mean, a couple of oh four doesn't happen without Ortiz. Because if, if you look at games four and five in the ALCS against the Yankees, both those games went 13 and 14 innings, respectively. David Ortiz hit the walk-off uh, hit in those games, you know, and then he hit like 688 in the 2013 World Series. Just absolutely disgusting. So <laughs> So a lot, everybody loves Ortiz and, you know, John Lester is another big one. I'm not a big Dustin Pedroia fan. I'm at odds with a lot of Red Sox fans on that, but I think he's a lot of people's favorites of all time. So, but yeah, but for me, definitely Papel Bond. Good choice, I think. Teddy, we're, we're just wondering, we've been drafted into our first ever baseball fantasy league this year. There's going to be a wee tournament amongst the uh, British baseball podcasting community. So what, what, what's, we, we can cut this out of the editing as well. So what, what's your tips? Who should we be looking at in the, the Red Sox team as that far, we be thinking about having there? Well, I think Devers would be a good choice because he's not going to be one of the more highly drafted uh, third basemen. Everybody's going to want, you know, someone like Arenado or or even Manny Machado over a guy like Devers. So I think you could kind of get away with him on like maybe your third or fourth pick in the draft. He's a good one. Bogarts isn't always regarded as a top shortstop because you got guys like Lindor and Correa. So he's a guy you can kind of sneak in there a a few picks down. If you want like a a sneaky, good reliever late, I I might go with Darwin's and Hernandez because he's not going to be on anybody's radar. That's not a Red Sox fan. He could end up being one of the top closers in the league. If they utilize him that way, they they might use him in the eighth inning, but he's a good sneaky late pick that you can have. And, uh, Tanner Houck as well. He won't start the season, but you might be able to put him on your bench on an inactive list, depending on how your league is set up. But I think those would would be some great picks. And even J.D. Martinez might not be drafted so highly. I mean, he didn't have a great 2020. And, and even 2019 wasn't super great for him coming off of that really impressive 2018 season. So I think there's a lot of guys you can pick from the Red Sox and not necessarily have to waste and you know any of your really early pick and you can get a lot of points from them. Quite interesting. I, I suppose as novices and we're we're probably looking at fantasy. When we look at fantasy football, fantasy soccer, we would everybody would know the big names and who to go for. But we, we thought we would potentially handicap ourselves in the league as well and look to load the team with the four teams that our guys support, which well, only one of us made the playoffs last year, so we're not exactly loaded <laughs> with talent. It's Rock interesting because we can then pick out potentially pick out some of the better, cheaper players that no one else is looking at without actually going for the the big guys. So yeah, we we might with a bit of help there, we might have some. When yeah. it Do you have any grudging respect for players and other teams around the league that we should be looking at? We could be looking at. Well, I mean, Mike Trout is always going to be an MVP candidate you know can't go wrong there if you're picking fourth or fifth or whatever and he's still available it'd be hard not to take him Fernando Tatis Jr. has suddenly become the face of baseball you know with the San Diego Padres so can't go wrong there Nolan Arenado is a top 10 MVP guy and sometimes even a top five guy in the running every year. Can't go wrong with him as well. If you're looking at starting pitchers, Garrett Cole with the Yankees, extremely dominant. I've always been impressed with Walker Bueller from the Dodgers. I think he's going to win a Cy Young several times over. Uh, You saw Shane Bieber win the American League Cy Young this year and had an insane strikeout rate. That's one thing you want to look at too when you're doing your research beforehand with starting pitchers is who gets a lot of strikeouts because they're going to win you the most points, you know, in a, in a rotisserie style league and, and even a head to head style league. Those are, are some uh, pitchers I would look at. Sounds good. And obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but if the Red Sox aren't going to win the World Series this year, who's going to win the World Series, Terry? 
I think the Dodgers are going to go to it again and and probably win it. They, they've made some nice moves, especially with that Trevor Bauer pickup. Uh, they just brought back uh, Justin Turner. They're going to have a full 162 season out of Mookie Betts. Cody Bellinger could very well win an MVP. That team is just so well balanced all the way through. I think they're going to go on the National League side, probably win it. The On the American League side, it's a little open to interpretation. The White Sox look phenomenal on paper, but they always find a reason to underperform. Mm. Uh, they hired Tony La Russa, who's a very kind of controversial pick because he's 76 yep. years old, doesn't fit the new, you know, the new management mold. They're a team that could certainly surprise people. And I think the Yankees are going to be a threat. I'm not really in love with their team. And I think they would get destroyed by the Dodgers if they got there. The American League just is so far behind the National League right now. Like if you took the Atlanta Braves from the National League over to the American League, they'd be the best team by far. Same thing with the Padres, just really good you know, well-balanced team with a lot of the moves that they made, you know, the Cardinals made some moves, you know, they'll probably win the central, but they're, they're not great. So to answer your question, if I had to pick on this day, February 21st, I I would say it's going to be a Yankees Dodgers world series. And I think Rob Manfred would love that because those are the two biggest markets, Mm -hmm. you know, in in America, New York and LA. So I think that's how it shakes out. Well, it certainly sounds a plausible, a plausible matchup there, I think as well, Terry. Terry, we meant to ask you, obviously last season was a a season like no other and a lot of rule changes came in. Some of them seem to be welcomed, but others maybe upset traditionalists. What do you make of the rule changes that came in, you know, getting rid of the designated hitter and stuff like that? And have they improved the game? Well, I'm one of those upset traditionalists, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. But the DH is gonna is not going to be back this year in the National League, so pitchers will be hitting again. That might go away, though, after the season when they negotiate the new labor contract. Mm. So that's one thing to watch for. Um, The DH doesn't really matter to me if they want to implement that. I'm not going to start screaming about it. I'm not a fan of putting a runner automatically on second base in extra innings. I think that's terrible. I think they should let the game play out. Uh, Another rule that I hated that got implemented last year is the three batter minimum rule where a relief pitcher must face three batters. The only exception to that is if he comes out, if he comes into the game with two outs and then gets that out and the inning ends, they don't have to bring him back out for the next inning. All in all, I kind of hate that. You know, if you got a, a left-handed relief specialist, I would just rather him be brought in to face the lefty and then that's it. By using that three batter minimum, it takes away those epic chess matches that managers will have with each other to try to outsmart each other. You know, we saw it all the time with Terry Francona and and Joe Torre when he was the the Yankees manager, and we saw it quite a bit between Francona and Joe Madden in the in the World Series in 2016. And I missed that. I, I that's one of the more intriguing aspects of the game. I think one thing that's also here to stay is if they do a double header. I think the seven innings are, are going to stay for that. Again, I'm I'm not a fan. I'm trying to think of some other things. One change though that they are getting away from is. You'll notice from 2015 forward through last season, so the last five or six seasons, they changed the baseball in a way that it's a lot easier to hit a home run. You know, we call that the juiced baseball. Mm. And I think they've taken steps this year to kind of get the ball back to where it used to be. So you're not going to see balls flying out. And I think that's important because you see a lot of guys that like to pitch to contact that pitch to get those fly ball outs in the outfield. And pitchers had to get away from that because a fly ball that would have been caught 30 feet in front of the fence was suddenly going 30 feet over the fence. I I think that kind of hurt the game. And when you have games with tons of home runs, it it makes the games longer. It's kind of nice that they are going to revert back a little bit. So I'm happy to see that. Rob Manfred is not a popular guy, (laughs) you know, amongst fans. So, and with Theo Epstein joining the, well, the the MLB front office, I think there's going to be some pressure on Manfred to maybe listen to the fans a little bit more, make some more popular decisions. 
decisions. He always gets his title, doesn't he? It's always Commissioner Manfred. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what your show's rated, so I won't say what I would say on my <laughs> podcast. But he's he's not a, not a good guy. There's not many good things to say about him. Uh, another thing, too, that Red Sox fans are wanting, supposedly there's this sealed letter that Manfred sent to the Yankees in that big DraftKings lawsuit. Oh. And whatever the contents of it are said to be highly damaging. Well, we haven't heard anything about that for months. <laughs> what happened to that? You know, Terry, we meant to say one of the things, obviously, we're, we're quite a long way away from where Major League Baseball is happening. So we like to help our listeners understand about not just about the baseball, not just about the games, but about the city and the places and the people. Could you talk a little bit about, and obviously you're, you're a little distance away, but for people that visit Boston for a game of baseball, what's the great Boston experience to do with that day? Like, where would you where would you maybe go to eat and drink? What would you maybe do round about that visit to Fenway? Well, admittedly, I'm not overly familiar with specific restaurants. We used to like to go to the Baseball Tavern, which was kind of a fun atmosphere. That was shut down last year for renovations, so I think that will open up. So if you want a spot you know, to eat and to kind of mingle with other Red Sox fans, that's a good place to go. Another one right near the park is called the Cask and Flag Inn. That's a, a pub-style restaurant. My girlfriend and I go to that. We love the pulled pork nachos. <laughs> Those are to <laughs> die for. It's a big open place and it's just a hangout for people before the game. So I would recommend that if, if you're going to a game. But, you know, Boston's rich with history. As a lot of people know, you can go on the Freedom Trail, which takes you to a lot of the uh, historical sites. Paul Revere's house, for instance, is, is on that, uh, the site of the Boston Massacre as well. The duck tours are fun. They're a little expensive. Like if you've watched the Red Sox win a, a championship and you see the parades, they're riding on the ducks, which, uh, you know, can go on land and water. It's it's a tour guide that actually drives those, you know, tells you where you are and points out a lot of historical locations as well. It, it's a fun city. It's a very friendly city. You know, you could easily spend a couple of days sightseeing and I'd recommend it. And if you're going to go to the Red Sox, it's it's a five hour drive to, to Yankee Stadium as well. So you could easily hit both cities in the same trip, you know, if you'd like to. Oh, I appreciate that, Terry. And we really appreciate a Red Sox fan willing to say, to mention the Yankees in positive terms <laughs> as well. Although we don't want to land you in trouble with your fellow Red Sox fans, Terry, but thanks for that. And of course, if they want to listen to a really good Boston baseball podcast, then they should be listening to the Bastards of Boston Baseball. So Terry, could you tell us a little bit about how our listeners could do that and they can keep in touch with you? They can find the podcast basically on any major platform, Apple Podcasts and, and Spotify are the big two, but you can also find it on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, some of those smaller ones. My, my Twitter account is at Cushman MLB. Uh, we also have the account for the podcast, which is at Bastards underscore Boston, and our DMs are open, so... If anybody wants us to put the podcast on a certain platform that's not already on, just shoot us a DM and we'll get it hooked up to that platform uh, immediately. So yeah, we're, we're looking forward to the season. I'm the kind of the primary host. We do two shows a week and I, I host both of them. And then on the, on the early week show, I'll have Charlie Smith and Jason Kelly with me on that one. And then for the midweek show, we have Joe Goddard and, and Andrew Dwan. So it's, it's a group of five of us. We don't always agree on things. We banter a lot. You'd be hard pressed to find another Boston Red Sox podcast that can kind of tell the story about the Boston Red Sox the way we do. You know, I think it's uh, really get, hits the right note. We had one of our co-hosts. I said, yeah, yeah, we're going with the Bastards of Boston Baseball. And he's like, whoa, whoa, I don't know about that. You know, sponsors, this and that. And I'm like, we're going with it. <laughs> Take it that you are the Bastards. No, it's not, it's not the uh, base officials who are selling all your anonymous players, all your favorite players. Yeah, absolutely. Your owner, John Henry, he's heavily invested in, in British football now, owning Liverpool. 
football club as well. How, how does that go down in Boston? Is Do people think, well, what's he spending his money on there? Or yeah, just- <laughs> we're hearing a lot of that this winter because, I mean, Garrett Richards is our big fish that we signed and nobody's happy about that. So you'll, you'll hear people saying, oh, he's spending all of his money in Europe on the Liverpool team or, or whatever. But I, I don't really buy into that too much. I, I think they do want the Red Sox to be, you know, as good as they can be. And I think next year when a lot of the big money comes off the books, you know, the price contract that we're still paying half of, J.D. Martinez comes off the books, Pedroia is off. Well, actually, after this season, you'll start to see them going after the big players again and building, hopefully, a dynasty. And there was a news report, I don't know, a month or so ago. They want to add another big American franchise team. So I don't know if that's an NFL football team. NBA basketball team, perhaps a hockey team. I I don't know, but they are looking to grow their family of teams, you know, across multiple sports. They own a NASCAR team, half of a NASCAR team as well, Roush Fenway Racing. So they are uh, expanding. And it's funny you mentioned John Henry specifically. He hasn't had a public interview in over a year. The conspiracy theory theorist in me is wondering, is he healthy? Or if you look at George Steinbrenner of the Yankees, he had... Alzheimer's the last several years and was kind of whisked away and was just kind of suddenly out of the spotlight and never really seen again. So I'm not saying that's going on, but certainly that instance is is in the back of my mind. You know, maybe he, you know, with the COVID situation, you know, you could just say, well, he's maybe he's just being cautious on that front as well. But it's interesting. We haven't heard from him in over a year. So I mean, yeah. he's, pre- he's pretty low-key on this side of the pond as well, to be honest, Terry. When Liverpool uh, won, won the championship, there wasn't, like, you know, you, you don't hear much from him in, in the Liverpool sense either. So in terms of you, you guys all staying safe, uh, Terry, how's COVID hit your area? Uh, Maine is, is pretty quiet on that front. Not a lot of cases. If you look at the overall number of cases and the overall number of, of deaths, we're probably among the bottom five states. So we're... You know, one of the safer ones. I saw a report, you know, the media over here is really finicky and a lot of us have trust issues with, you know, some areas of the media. But I did see in the Wall Street Journal that the number of overall cases have dropped 77 percent in the last six weeks. And then there, there was an interview with Dr. Fauci on Buster Olney's ESPN podcast. And I mean, uh, Fauci didn't corroborate those numbers specifically, but he did say that the number of cases was sharply declining. Well, I know you guys have another variant over there in the UK, and I, I don't think it's quite made its way this way. But if the vax, if that responds to the vaccines and whatnot, and then they're able to vaccinate most of the older demographic by April, May, I think you'll start to see fans in ballparks to maybe half capacity at least. And that number could go up. Let's all hope for that. Begin to see fans back in ballparks. Yeah, I miss it. No, I can only imagine as well. Like you're such devoted fans of baseball as well. Terry, you've been terrific and you've given us a lot of your time here. Is there anything you'd like to ask us, Terry? I don't know about us being how four Scottish guys became baseball fans or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, how did you? And and is there like a growing trend of more and more baseball fans over there? I think there is an upswing, but it's starting from a low base, to be honest with you, Terry. Like it's football, soccer is so embedded in Britain. It's, it's really hard for anything to get much traction. Where yeah. Dave comes from in Yorkshire and England's a big cricket place. So cricket's kind of historically been the number two sport as well. But no, I think baseball, the interest has got up. MLB TV do a really nice job providing coverage for UK fans. I think I think it's pretty good. Yeah, it's a growing but small audience. I would describe it as baseball fans in the UK, Terry. For myself, I'm, I've got family connections on the West Coast. So I've been out a lot of times over the years. And that's why, for whatever reason, I became a Mariners fan. What a terrible choice that was. But no, I, w- I wouldn't change it. But it's uh, obviously not enjoyed a lot of success. But I've got family in Washington State and Oregon. So that was why I latched on to the Mariners. Alan, what about your journey to becoming a Tigers fan? How did that happen? Yeah, I'll probably just answer another part of Terry's question first. NFL is quite big in the UK. For whatever reason, they stole a march on on, on baseball, basketball, hockey. Uh, I don't know if somebody felt there was easier comparisons possibly to the likes of rugby 
that we play in the UK, that you you will find a lot of people with an interest in NFL in, in the UK. Sports-wise, I mean, we're we're all football soccer fans. We although we support different teams, we'll we'll do football trips away with each other, and we we enjoy each other's company. So. That expands out into different sports as well. We did the, the London series together uh, and we've, we've done a range of different things. It normally involves a few beers then as well, so we, so we do that. So we've all been to the States at, at different times. I'll go and I'll find sport to, to go to sports. So we're, we're trying to do our bit uh, yeah. along with a hard core of others just to raise the profile of baseball and get, give it more coverage in, in Scotland and the UK amongst our friends and amongst the, the group we're doing as well. So we've tried to make our podcast a bit about football, soccer and a bit about baseball to try to attract people in effectively in the national sport. So yeah, let, let's come and see comparisons and let's have a think about stuff here. And and Dave, you have Red Sox affinity, Dave? Uh, that really came from my first visit to uh, to Boston back in 1993. So it's almost 30 years ago. And um, I must have, yeah, being a sports fan, I must have known about, I can't even remember, it would have been pre-internet days. And I'm pretty sure we phoned up Fenway and booked some tickets for a game. And when we arrived there, I think I've mentioned this before, it tells you how long ago it was, 1993. It wasn't sold out. So when we went to collect our tickets, the, the lady at the ticket office said, we've upgraded you to first base because it's not full. So straight away, I thought that's pretty cool because I was yeah. looking back at some photos I took and there was the first baseman who played for Boston, then Mo Vaughan. Oh, yes. A big hitter. Yeah. And it was surprising to say this is how long ago it was. He was wearing number 42. So it was before the they retired uh, it. The whole, the whole game yeah. fired that number. But yeah, he was quite a a character and a big hitting guy and in a time when you know it was slightly different it was before the the home run chase with Mary McGuire and you were talking about home runs in fact I think I heard you mention the juice on the on one of your programs recently I still don't quite understand is it a different ball they're making or um, is it are they just using the ball more often, often yeah more. they they changed the dynamics of the baseball in recent years to make it fly through the air a little easier the the logic was well more home runs you know make the sport more marketable more likable and i think the the thought behind that was going back to the mcguire and the sosa home run race in 1998 it didn't quite have the effect they wanted because it was like an all or nothing approach. They were either going to hit home runs or strike out. And it wasn't mm. a good product. The season before last, there was a game with the Red Sox and the Dodgers uh, in the month of July. And there were seven hits in the game and six of them were home runs. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's incredible to think. I, I went on a, a little bit of a tour in 1999 and went to four different, went to both New York games, uh, both New York stadiums, Chicago and Detroit, the old stadium. And I'm pretty sure in five games, we only saw one home run, a grand slam in the, in, the, in Shea Stadium. And we even saw Maguire play, actually. But it was it's only 20 years ago, isn't it? But it was like a totally different approach to the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and when you went in 1993, I think that was a bad season for the Red Sox as well. Yeah, it was a losing season. Those early 90s seasons weren't good. Hey, funny story, though. I noticed you got a Ted Williams jersey hanging up behind you. Um, I don't know if you guys know what cribbage is, but it's a card game, and I I play competitively. There's tournaments over here, and I was playing this guy who was in his 80s, probably 85 years old or whatever, and he worked in a hospital back in the, I'm guessing the 1940s. And he was like a dishwasher or something. And Ted Williams was there having something done. I don't know if it was a surgery or what, but he needed, I think he wanted beer or something. So they're like, well, we gotta, we gotta help Ted Williams out and get him some beer. So they're like, they grabbed the dishwasher. Hey, go down to the store and get this or whatever. So he's like, okay. So he goes down and he's telling me the story. And He brings him back, whatever the beer is or whatever, and he brings it to Ted Williams. He asks uh, for an autograph for for his younger brother. He goes, could you sign this for my younger brother? And Ted Williams goes, yeah, sure, absolutely. And Ted Williams just kind of casually asks him. He says, so, uh, yeah, who's your favorite baseball player? 
And this guy telling me the story says uh, kind of sheepishly, he he told him Joe DiMaggio, you know, is my favorite player <laughs> to Ted Williams, you know, who was the rival at the time because <laughs> he was a Yankees fan. And he's like, that was the dumbest moment of my entire life yeah. telling Ted Williams I was a big Joe DiMaggio fan. <laughs> friends for life. I I was envious. I'm, you know, playing somebody who was alive when Joe DiMaggio was playing, you know, because yeah. you, you got to go back so far. I think I meant to say Ted Williams and Williams, I think, retired in the 1960 season. So it's been yeah. forever. We actually used, we did a quiz where well, we still do a quiz regularly on the show. Uh, Terry and Dave, who, who is our man for these things, knows everything, uh, put those together. But we had to stop them because he found a way to make Ted Williams the answer to a question every single episode. <laughs> okay. Who was the last guy to hit 400? Ted Williams. <laughs> oh, we, were, we were wondering if some people were going to hit 400 this year with the shortened season. Yeah. But it didn't get close. Somebody was up there for a while. I forget who it was. I don't think we'll see that again in a hurry. I don't think, particularly not. Yeah, after kind of taking a bit off the baseballs as well. Terry, thank you so so much. Give me a shout anytime. You know, mid-season if the playoffs are coming on, I'll, I'll yeah. come on and talk baseball with you. I enjoyed it immensely. And uh, if you're ever in Boston or even New York, and you make a group trip, call me. I'll meet you down there. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy. You, I'll buy you guys all dinner. Brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, we'd, we'd go a long way for a free dinner, Terry. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. The nachos sound good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Pool pot matches at the cask and flagon, was that? Yes, yes. Good memory. Uh, we'll, we'll see you there. Th- thanks so much, Terry. Stay safe, and I hope the Red Sox have a great season. Thanks for your time, Terry. Next up, we've got veteran Tigers fan, Dave, who's going to chat to us about the, his history and his lifetime supporting the Tigers and also giving us his insights into 2021. With a couple of World Series under their belts in Dave's lifetime, we hope it will be a good listen and we hope you look forward to it. Cheers, have a good week.